Good morning, MCA. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you all. We have so much to give thanks for. Um, the scripture reading this morning comes from Zephaniah chapter 30, verses 17 through 20. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The sorrows for the appointed feasts I will remove from you. They are a burden and a reproach to you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for us. You know, parents often sing to their children at bedtime. How about any of you? Sing to your kids at bedtime? Not many singers among us, apparently. I always sing to my kids when I put them in bed. Sometimes it's lullabies. Sometimes it's worship songs. Sometimes it's just old folk tunes that come to mind for some unknown sort of random reason. And I think I've probably shared the story before, but uh, Elijah, who's now five, when I put him to bed, I used to sing... Hush, little Elijah, don't you cry. Papa's going to sing you a lullaby. Hush, little Elijah, don't say a word. Papa's going to buy you a mockingbird. And continue on and so forth. And the evening came when I was putting Elijah to bed and I was singing to him. And I saw a little bit of a glimmer and a twinkle in his eye. And he said, Papa, are you really going to buy me a mockingbird? You've been saying you're going to get me one. When is it coming? And I just didn't have the heart to say no, so we got a new pet. <laughs> it was a parakeet. It was named Mockingbird, but I just couldn't say no uh, to his innocent request because I had been singing over him that I was going to buy him a Mockingbird. And it was a good moment of realization, the power of those words that we sing over our children. And just as a loving parent sings over their child at bedtime, the scriptures tell us, as we just heard, as Christy read from Zephaniah 3, not chapter 30, it was chapter 3, by the way, that God sings over us, just like a loving, doting parent, that God sings over us. He rejoices over you with singing because he is mighty to save. And so, yes, we are doing a study in the book of Zephaniah. This is a sort of little-known uh, minor prophet of the Old Testament. This is, uh, I would say, it's probably an often overlooked part of the scriptures. And this book, this, so this is part three of a three-week series. We'll finish this out this morning. It helps us to realize that just like the people of old, we too are going to face judgment. It's one of those books that's filled with these graphic, uh, passionate images of God's wrath and God's judgment being poured out. And yet, we're calling this series Hope Remains. And so, even despite the fact that judgment is coming, we have hope. I'll tell you why. Because even in our difficulty, even in the challenge, even in the struggle, even through the trial, God is at work. 
See, God just has this way of taking your circumstances, or shall we even say creating circumstances, in your life, and it's for his glory, and it's for your betterment. It's to shape you. It's to mold you. It's to teach you. It's to grow you to be the person that he wants you to be. So when difficulty comes your way, and it causes you to be bitter and angry, why, you've just missed the entire point. When you're that person who's always grumbling and always complaining and saying, woe is me, why does this have to happen to me? You've missed the opportunity that God has given you to grow and to learn through the trial and through the challenge. Do you just want a life of ease? I mean, that might sound appealing, like, yeah, I just want to be comfortable. And yet we all can acknowledge that it's in the times of ease and comfort and luxury and relaxation that we get lazy and we get dull. It's only through those, those difficult times, it's through those challenging times that we're sharpened, that, that we advance, that we progress. It's in those times when you learn to rely on God. When the difficult days come, that's when your faith is tested. That's when your faith grows. So we just celebrated the Thanksgiving holiday. My wife decided to do the full Thanksgiving spread, like turkey dinner, all, like all of it. Um, and she's been excited about that. I've been maybe even more excited about that. <laughs> and she's been gearing up for it. And then our oven breaks. <laughs> like, how are you going to make a turkey and all the other stuff if you don't have an oven? Now, fortunately, our timeline was just... So, so right in the midst of all this other busyness and all the other craziness going on, you know, you're shopping for a, an appliance. <laughs> not what we expected to be doing, not what we hoped to do. Now, we are thankful because based on the timeline, we we're able to get the new oven... And get it installed, it was the week of, wasn't it? Yeah, like, like uh, Tuesday probably. Yeah, Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, we did get the new oven installed. And it worked, and Rachel was able to, to cook. We're thankful for that. We did notice that the, the oven is broken in one part, so it needs to either be repaired or replaced. We also realized that... The drawer in the corner cabinet now doesn't open because it hits the thing. But you actually can get it to open. There's a formula for, like, just adjust this, turn that, flip that down. Now it opens. You're like, okay, that's, we're now doing a uh, solve a puzzle in order to get out the spatula. Um, but in all of it, it's a, it's a trial. It's a challenge. It's a headache. It's an unwanted setback. But will we recognize God is in control and we still have so much to be thankful for? And I don't need to tell you this, but life's not always going to go your way. Life's not going to turn out the way you expected it to. There are going to be challenges and hardships and things that are totally unforeseen. You did not prepare for this. My encouragement is lean into that. Lean into the Lord during those times. And ask him, what is he teaching you through it? How does he want to shape and mold you through it? You're never going to learn to appreciate your current circumstances until you can embrace the fact that God has the long-term goal in mind. 
that, that God is working out his plan of salvation in you. And he wants to form you to be the person he wants you to be. So we are in the book of Zephaniah. I want to encourage you to open your Bible. I hope you bring a Bible with you on Sundays. that We can turn together into the word of God. Find this little uh, prophecy, this minor prophet in the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament. A uh, little bit of recap. It's just three chapters in this book. We've basically broken them down one chapter at a time. Although in week one, which Jeremy Hostetler preached... It was, we included the first couple of verses in uh, chapter two. But in week one, we see that there's this prophecy against Judah. And we were challenged, of course, to embrace the joy of submission. The joy of submission, trusting in God. In, In week two, which was last week, we considered the judgment against the nations. As you look at chapter two, you see God saying he's gonna level all the people around them. And we saw that it was to the east and the west and the north and the south. How do we respond when life falls apart? So today we're going to be studying chapter 3, Zephaniah chapter 3, where the Lord reminds Judah of their sin. He begins with the indictment against Judah. He says, yeah, all these surrounding peoples will be judged as well. And now he comes back to the people of Israel. He reminds them of their sins, but he declares over them that he is mighty to save. So let's look there, starting in verse 1. We're, we're going to work our way through the whole chapter together this morning. That's the, that's the goal, is to work through Zephaniah chapter 3. So we're starting in verse 1. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are arrogant. They are treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. So again, he's speaking to his people. He's talking to the people of this was during the time of the divided kingdom. There was the north and the south. This happens to come at a time where the northern kingdom of Israel has already been conquered by the enemy because of their sin. And now there's a judgment against the southern kingdom of Judah. They are rebellious. They're steeped in idolatry. But here's the thing that I want to point out as we look at God's people and the people of Judah during this time. They looked really religious. You see, they they still maintained some semblance of we're God's chosen people. And we have practices and we have habits and we have uh, a certain vernacular and we have the, the scriptures. Like they had this semblance of religiosity. They still had the right look. They still had the right heritage. They could say, don't you know who my grandpa is? Don't you know I come from the line of, from the tribe of? And yet they're far from God. They've turned from him. They've, they've allowed other things to creep into the throne of their hearts. And so God says that he's going to send the enemy. He's going to send Babylon to destroy them. They're going to be defeated. They're going to be taken into captivity for 70 years. And although they can't do anything to stop the coming invasion, hope remains. Like, God's heart is not to annihilate his people. That, that's not it at all. God's heart is to restore his people, to bring judgment. We could put it this way, to bring judgment that they might learn of his mercy. They need a wake-up call. They need a reality check. Okay, so we're in Zephaniah chapter 3, we're at verse 5. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. You can see there's a great 
difference here between the people who are supposedly of God and God himself, Yahweh, the Lord. He is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. Every new day, he does not fail. And yet, the unrighteous know no shame. Since they haven't turned to him. You see, he alone is the one that's worthy of praise and he's not getting it. And we see here in verse 5, they don't even have a sense of shame for their wrongs. They don't live with regret. They don't have remorse. They don't repent. And so God is going to bring his wrath. Look at verse 6. I have cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I've left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are destroyed. No one will be left. No one at all. I said to the city, surely you will fear me and accept correction. And then her dwelling would not be cut off, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. See, there was a window of time where God is calling them to to come back to him. Return to me. This doesn't have to be this way. Hear the warnings of the prophets, and yet they still did not turn. They were still corrupt in all they did, in all they said. And it's appropriate for us to just pause at this point and recognize how patient, how loving is our God. And aren't you thankful that God is patient with you? That that you're like these people who who at times worship God, who, who at times turn to Him. But then you go back to your old ways. You get lured in by the temptations. You, you, you rely on things other than God. You allow something other than Christ to reside on the throne of your heart. I'm so thankful that God is patient. That he forgives time and time and time again. That he doesn't give up on us. I can tell you God is a lot more patient than I am. My patience has been tested recently, over the past couple of days even. My patience has been tested. The results were negative, by the way. Verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify. I've decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. And then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Notice that. He he doesn't say, just you, Hebrews, just you, children of Abraham. He says, no, 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 anyone the world over. They could be Ninevites. They they could be people from, from, uh, uh, from the corners of the earth. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And who then, what a great image here, serves him shoulder to shoulder, working together for the kingdom. He says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. So God's going to pour out his indignation. He makes that clear here in fiery terms. He's going to consume the earth with his jealous wrath. He's going to purify the nations. Why? Not because he wants to annihilate them. We have to understand that when you when you come to the Old Testament and you see the fire and the brimstone. 
Do not make the mistake that so many do, which is to say, God is an angry God who doesn't love people and who just wants to smite them. He's an old man sitting on a cloud with a lightning bolt in his hand ready to zap us. God's heart is not to annihilate. God's heart is to restore. God's heart is for seeing people come to him. Purifying them is the language of verse 9. So that they call on his name. So yes, he's going to punish. The wrath is going to fall. It's clear here that it's going to be on the proud. Those who are arrogant. Those who rely on themselves. He's going to rescue only the humble. The ones who repent. The ones who turn from their sin. Like the two guys who were struggling to keep up with the rising costs of inflation. See, their business was painting houses. And the material costs had gone up, and they'd already given some bids, and so they were starting to lose money. What are we going to do? So they decided to start watering down the paint. In fact, they reached the point where they'd watered it enough. They had 50% water, 50% paint. They could slap a coat on, and it looked like it had been painted, and so they began to turn around in their profit margin. They were, they were able to get away with it. They painted a number of houses this way. Until one day, one of them says, I am feeling really convicted about what we've been doing. We, we can't keep this up. We've, we've got to stop. We, we've got to stop watering down the paint. In fact, we need to make it right. We, we need to go back to all of those houses, and we need to repaint them. His partner says, well, what? you were fine with doing this. I mean, even a month ago, you were all excited about this. And the results we were seeing, like, why the change of heart? He goes, well, I went to a revival meeting last night. There was a guy who was, who was preaching, and he was really animated. And it was almost like he was preaching right at me. In fact, he, he was pointing his finger at me. And I heard him say very clearly, repaint you, sinner. Go and sin no more. Either way, they got it right. Either way, they, they undid the wrong and they returned. They repainted the houses. Okay, we're in Zephaniah chapter 3. We're at verse 11. On that day, you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you've done to me because I will remove... From this city, those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and the humble who trust in the name of the Lord. Now we know this, that, that the kingdom of God belongs to the poor in spirit. Jesus teaches us that in Matthew chapter 5, where he says that they are blessed. So you've, you've got to reach that point in your own life as an individual. You've got to reach that point of neediness, recognizing your need. You've got to reach that point or else you're never going to see that you need to be rescued. That, that it's in the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that he has ushered in this brand new kingdom. It hasn't reached its full realization, its full culmination yet, not until he returns. But in the meantime, that's why we're committed to sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. 
Because it's his kingdom. Because it's in his advent that all of human history has now shifted. Verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they'll say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. The sorrows for the appointed feasts I'll remove from you. They're a burden and reproach to you. At that time, I'll deal with all who oppressed you. I'll rescue the lame and gather those who've been scattered. I'll give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. That is the heart of God toward his people. It's this great imagery we see in verse 17 of of God singing over his people. He's rejoicing over the people of Judah, but... He's rejoicing over people of every nation. Every person who's united under the authority of our Lord Jesus. It's just a great image. God tenderly caring for his own. Just like a mother who sings over her children. And have you noticed that a mom always hears her her kids? Like you can be in in a... A crowded place, a loud place, and all of a sudden, you see the look that comes on the mom's face. (laughs) And it's like, hmm? Like what? Not only do they recognize that it's their kid, but they also recognize that's a hurt cry. That's a fussy cry. That's a scared cry. And then she rushes to calm her little one. How much more does God care for? His children. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 49, 15, that even though at times a mother might forget her child, God never does. God never does. So you see that in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Rescuer, God's promise from this book of Zephaniah, this minor prophet, his his promise to be with us, his promise to save us, it is fulfilled. In the person of Christ. He fulfills this. And yes, Jesus certainly assured us that in this life we will have troubles. But God promises that he will be with us. That he is mighty to save. Can I get an amen? So it's in in Christ that we see these prophecies being fulfilled. Now I do hope that you'll join us for our Christmas series. It begins next Sunday. Our decorating team, by the way, has done a fantastic job. These beautiful stars, the decorations around the church. We got the tree up in the foyer. So thank you to the decorating team. You've done a fantastic job. This uh, Christmas, we're going to be doing um, a series called The Gospel According to Isaiah. (laughs) Yet another Old Testament prophet. And yet what we're going to look at is the the prophecies about the long-awaited Messiah. The ones that come from the book of Isaiah. So... Our Christmas service is going to be on December 26th. 
That's Sunday of Christmas weekend. We sure hope that you will make plans to be a part of that this year. So here's what I'm drawing as we study this book of Zephaniah, even as we've now walked through the entire book together, all three of these chapters, that, that judgment and wrath are not the last word. That, that it's not just God is going to zap you. Instead, you have this image of believers, people from all across the globe, turning to God. And yes, to be sure, judgment is imminent. <laughs> Even it, historical context here in the book of Zephaniah, like they're going to be invaded. It's going to be about 40 years from now that Babylon comes in and takes over. Judgment is imminent, but their pain is not going to last forever. Hope remains. Hope remains because of God's ultimate plan of rescuing his people, because of his great plan of salvation. Why? Because he is mighty to save. So a few truths that I want us to mark this morning from Zephaniah chapter 3, as we're studying this passage together. And the first is that God is mighty to save even when we've gone astray. (laughs) That, That God's Salvation is not just for those who've done right, who've always stayed within the fold, who've always brought pleasure to God. It's God is mighty to save even when we've gone astray. So the Lord makes it perfectly clear, particularly verses 1 through 7, like his people have messed up. He levels a really harsh accusation against them. He doesn't let them off the hook in any way. He doesn't make excuses for them. He calls them to task. He says they've forsaken him. He calls them arrogant. He calls them treacherous. Just like each and every one of us. We've all been arrogant. We've all been treacherous toward the Lord. Each one of us has done wrong. We should receive the punishment that we deserve. But praise God that he is mighty to save. Praise God that he forgives Even when you've wandered, even when you've gone astray, you cannot go so far that God's love cannot reach you. Where could you go? Where could you go to escape the presence of God? If you go up to the heavens, he's there. This is what we hear in Psalm 139. If you make your bed in the depths, he's there. If you rise on the wings of the dawn, if you settle on the far side of the sea, even there his hand will guide you. His right hand will hold you fast. And so since the Lord has been faithful to forgive and to redeem and to even pursue us in our sin, while we were still sinners, the scriptures say, Christ died for us. Even at our worst, he is mighty to save. And so we're grateful. That's another point. That's another note to take as we're studying this passage. He's mighty to save when we've gone astray. He's mighty to save, so we should be thankful. You know, when there's a tragedy and there's a first responder who's on the scene, you know, fire, paramedic, EMS, and they save someone's life. It's common for that family, that individual, to then write a note or even go to visit that person who acted heroically. They want to express their gratitude. They they want to say, thank you for your actions. Because of you, I'm alive. Because of you, my child is here. 
In the same way, we need to thank God for all he's done for us. And this is part of the encouragement we see in Zephaniah, right? So turn back, look, look at verse 14. It says, be glad. Rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishments. And so I do want to issue this word to us today that, that we've got to stop allowing our circumstances to steal our joy. What do you think it says to God when you grumble? What do you think it communicates to our good, loving, gracious, heavenly father when you complain about your lot in life? It says, God, you haven't done good enough. It says, God, you're not sufficient enough. I need more and I need it my way. It reveals, it betrays a selfish, arrogant, prideful heart. And a life that's about me, not for his glory. You see, even through our circumstance, we praise God. God, you're still good. God, you're still on the throne. God, you've saved me. And I'm grateful. Even when you don't get the grade you wanted. Even when you're overlooked for the promotion that you think you deserved. And yes, even when the results come back and they're not what you've prayed for. We thank God. We trust God. Do you not have your salvation? Do you not have a story of God's goodness poured out in your life? The grace of God for you? So Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. There is something to be thankful for each and every day. I love the Thanksgiving season. I love the fact that we, we give thanks during this time and you, you gather around the, the table, the feast. And in many cases, you go, what are you thankful for? You're like, well, the delicious food I'm about to gorge myself on. <laughs> Be thankful for that meal. Yes, absolutely. But we have something to give thanks for each and every day. Don't allow your circumstances to rob your joy. To, to keep you from issuing gratitude to the God that so very much deserves it. Even if you show up at church and it's oh, another sermon from Zephaniah. <laughs> it reminds me of the time a church family uh, sat through a very long and very boring sermon. And after the congregation, the pastor is in the back at the door and the, the people are sort of filing out and no one is saying a word just sort of silently passing by. And toward the end of the line was a person who always gave feedback on the sermon. It was always an encouraging word. It was always a response some way. And the person did make a comment. Pastor, today your sermon reminded me of the peace and love of God. The pastor's thrilled. Like, I've never gotten a comment like that before. Thank you so much. Tell me, how is that? Well, it reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding. <laughs> and the love of God because it endured forever. <laughs> they were trying to be thankful. Don't fall into that pit of grumbling and complaining. Don't just give thanks in one season or on one day. Give thanks each and every day. Why? Because our God is mighty to save. Amen?
If you allow your contentment to just be based on your circumstances, there's not much hope. I don't think you'll ever find joy. Now, listen, I want to be clear on this. I'm not saying that you live life with this facade of smiles. I'm not saying you pretend everything is okay when it's not. There's a danger there. And I think we, we kind of get really good at that in the church world. Like, like, how many times today did you have the following conversation? Hello, fill in the blank with their name. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I've had it probably 16, 17, 18 times today already. You've had it probably three, four, five, upwards of 10 times today. And what we're doing there is we're saying, hello, good morning. It's just we, we've adopted this, how are you good exchange. So we do need opportunity to be able to go to one another and say, how you doing? How you holding up? What, what's life throwing your way and, and how are you responding to that? And then how can I come alongside you shoulder to shoulder to bear the burden? So I'm not in any way suggesting that we should perpetuate this facade of sort of fake plastic Christian smile. Now, life is hard. Life knocks you down. And it's very appropriate and healthy for us to acknowledge that. You know, I'm hurting. I'm really facing challenge. Here's what I'm walking through right now. So I'm not suggesting that we pretend everything is fine when it's not. In fact, I would say that is yet another example of how God uses those challenges and difficulties to help us and shape us and mold us because we need each other. Because if I just pretend everything is all right, all of a sudden I feel really crummy. I'm like, well, everything, everyone thinks my life is perfect and it's not. And I'm hurting. And now I've isolated and separated myself even more. We need each other. We need a shoulder to lean on during the difficult times. We, we need to do life in community. We also find great hope because we can lay down our burdens. Yes, we bear one another's burdens, as the scriptures call us to. But we lay down our burdens at the foot of the cross. And that's the third thing to take note of this morning. And that is, God is mighty to save, so give him your burdens. Our Lord Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so it's in that place of bringing it to Christ that you find rest for your soul. It's in that place where God takes your fear and he fills you with faith. It's in that place, this divine exchange, where God takes your pain and he gives you healing. He takes your troubled mind and he gives you peace. He takes your stress and he gives you that breath of fresh air that you've just been longing to draw. Like in both the Greek and the Hebrew, the word for the very spirit of the living God is breath. And Jesus says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And I want you to know this morning that our prayer team is going to be available after the service, right up here in the front, that you are welcome to make your way up 
We would be honored to help carry your burden, to lift you up in prayer, to come alongside you. And whether you do it up in the front or whether you do it right where you're at or you do it in the car on the way home, my encouragement, and I I urge you this morning to allow God's love to flood your life. You see, when the love of God fills your heart, there is no room for fear. We sang that this morning. There's no room for fear. When God is near, fear just has a way of vacating. It moves out. The enemy flees. And so no longer do you live under that oppression, but instead you learn to listen for the voice of God. And it's in that place you've exchanged your burden for his light yoke and you've attuned your ear to the voice of God that you do his will, that you know his presence and you walk in his ways and you enjoy his blessings. You know, we just live in a world that's filled with stress, that's chaotic, and it's only going to ramp up over the next month. All the activities, all the gifts, all the events, all the shopping, all of the decorating. But God gives us peace. He, He allows us to experience a lasting peace, like the scriptures say, one that passes understanding. So we have this great promise from Psalm 55. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He'll never let the righteous be shaken. So before we close, I want to declare this again for each and every one of us today. That our God is mighty to save. That he alone is mighty to save. Your talent won't save you. Your good deeds won't save you. Your bank account cannot save you. Your parents, your lineage, your heritage, it cannot save you. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven, the scriptures tell us, which, by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. The name above all names. And he will not let his people be shaken. So if you find yourself this morning and you have been shaken, it's okay. We all have. But it's time yet again to allow our mighty God to beckon you back to himself to plant your feet firmly on the rock that you will not be shaken. And what of this God singing over us? I find myself just wondering, marveling. What would that sound like? What would it sound like if we could hear God's voice singing over us? What would it do to my faith to hear God singing over? If a little two-year-old boy says, I'm getting a mockingbird because I heard it in the lyrics of a song. How much more will I stand firm? And say, come what may, because my God is singing over me, I am mighty to save. Remember, it was with just a word, he spoke the universe into being. (laughs) Like when God says it, it is done. So what would happen when God bursts into song to say, be strong for I am with you? Perhaps a whole new heaven and earth would be created. (laughs) 
In fact, the Lord says something just to that effect in Isaiah 65. Look at these verses. See, I will create a new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. And maybe when you think of the voice of God singing, you think of the roar of a rushing waterfall. Or maybe just the gentle trickling of a brook. The blast of a volcano or the soft little purr of a kitten. The ferocious winds of a hurricane or the, that barely audible sound of soft little snowflakes falling. <laughs> and you go, yeah, that's... The scriptures tell us like that God's voice thunders at times. And in other times, it's a gentle whisper. It's a lullaby. So I want to say in closing that no matter what you're facing, give your burdens to the Lord. That, it, that he's the one who is mighty. He's the one strong enough. He's the one capable to handle them. That you, you can walk in his great salvation and be thankful. For the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let's pray. Lord, we pause in this moment to simply be to breathe in and to reflect on the Bible talking about your Holy Spirit as a breath. And so, Lord, would you fill us today? Lord, we confess and acknowledge that we carry burdens. We bring the regret and the remorse of grumbling and complaining, O oh God, when you have been so lavish in your love, so abundant in your blessings, and of that we are sorry. And we plead and beg for your forgiveness, O oh God. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice. In a world that's loud, and chaotic and busy and noisy and filled with stress. We pray for peace. We pray for peace in our hearts. We pray for peace in our homes. Lord, we pray for peace in our relationships with others. And so, Lord, we hear you today calling us to yourself. And we respond. That you say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And so, Lord, we long for rest today. Not just physical rest. <laughs> yes, we need that too. But a rest for our very souls. 
So Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for who you are. And we say, God, continue your work within us to make us the people that you want us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.